Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey friends, welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast, a podcast about essentially anything tennis from recreational to pro, and my name is Andre. Hi, my name is Vanch, and uh, today Andre and I are welcoming uh, a special guest onto the Tennis and Bagels podcast. We have a former number one player from Turkey, uh, a longtime coach, someone who played a lot in Challengers and Satellites, and is currently uh, doing a lot of work for Tennis with an Accent uh, as a writer, and, and they have a podcast of their own. Please welcome to Tennis and Bagels, Mert Artunga. Mert, how are you doing today? I'm doing great and very happy to be here. Glad, glad to, uh, glad, thank you for inviting Sweet. me. Sweet. Uh, yeah. Uh, Sweet. Uh, just it's a cool a fact as well in that like you have tennis with an accent and I immediately relate to that because um, I am not originally from North America and Brazilian, so I do have a tad bit of an accent, which I am not able to distinguish, by the way. It's something that I am, it's, I am incapable of telling off because... I guess I'm not a native speaker, so I don't get, I don't have the understanding of my own, uh, you know, sounds that I make. I guess like when I speak English, but yeah, well, that's yeah. yeah. Andre, that's that uh, you would fit right, and that's that's how uh, we we all have accents at tennis with an accent, <laughs> but none of us think <laughs> that we do. It's amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> <You> just merge. <laughs> uh, cool. So, um, yeah. and uh, last week we had a, a lot of a lot of fun and. Last weekend, the one after, the one before, actually. So uh, the U.S. Open just ended, and uh, we had some really interesting stories and results. And uh, we just wanted to talk a little bit about that, like do a bit of a second week recap. And just starting off maybe from the quarterfinals, where we didn't have Novak Djokovic, by the way. And um, yeah, like, what do you what do you guys think? Like, is there was there any particular match, either men's or women's, that you guys felt like was most impactful, most interesting, or anything like that? Okay, for me, the, uh, the, the you know, into, I always, uh, when I watch a tennis match, one of the first priorities for me is not just the, maybe the drama or the close scoreline, but rather the quality of tennis that I'm watching. From, so from that sense, out of the, if we're, if we're limiting ourselves to, uh, to quarterfinals and forward, I would have to go with the semifinal between Jen Brady and uh, Naomi Osaka on the women's side. Uh, I thought that was, uh, a super high quality from the beginning to the end. Plus, it had the ups and downs of uh, of, of, of a three set match. In other words, a match that went to to the ultimate set, where not necessarily you know the one player gained the momentum over the other, not because uh, player A lost the momentum, but rather because player B came up with better shots or changed the, changed their game plan and and tried to top the opponent who was who had the momentum until then. And after a couple of shifts on momentum like that, uh, Osaka ended up winning. But 
you know, what a great match. It lasted two hours and eight minutes. And, and, if, and if anybody, any of the listeners completely missed US Open for one, one reason or another due to work or what have you, and they, would, they, they just barely have time to go back and watch one match, that's the first one that I would recommend. Yeah, I mean that's an that's an excellent point, Mark. Certainly, from if we're looking at both the men's and the women's tour, you know, we can certainly make a case that on the on on the women's side, um, despite their not have, despite all the storylines heading into the U.S. Open with six of the top ten, um, you know, not playing and people talking about you know you know there's maybe potentially 15, 20 winners that can win the U.S. Open in twenty twenty. Um, considering that, I mean, we had we had. Three terrific matches to wrap up the to wrap up the tournament with um, with Naomi Osaka versus Jen Brady in the semifinals, and also the match with um, also the second semifinal with Azarenka and Serena Williams, and then and then the final. But certainly of those three matches, if we just comparing those three, uh, when we're saying on the subject of the WTA, uh, certainly the Jen Brady versus Naomi Osaka was a thrilling semifinal that I can't remember any certain match like that in. In, in recent memory where they were just where it was surely just about the quality of tennis and yes, both and players were able to block out everything else surrounding them and really just elevated each other's game to a point where you almost felt like the first set tiebreaker and that kind of a situation is usually a key deciding factor and then you know maybe you thought that Osaka with her experience and her um, and you know her poise that she's shown and maturity you know that we've seen both on and off the court would just run away with that second set or maybe just or maybe it would be straightforward to her but to Jennifer Brady's credit she hung around and made it extremely made it extremely difficult and broke in the second set and then suddenly we had a we had a very even evenly played match yeah i mean it, you know it's it, it's ironic that you brought up the tiebreaker because uh, actually in the, in the 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 match was played at such a high level such a high quality level of tennis that the tiebreaker is probably the worst part out of the, and, and when I say worst, I mean, you know, just not up to par with the rest of the match. You know, you take out that tiebreaker and, and just look at the games up to 6-6 six, six and the second set and the third set, and it's a riveting match. And and, and quite frankly, it's a long, it's been a long time coming for Jen Brady. You know, a lot, many people may say, well, she got to the quarterfinals. Wow, that's great. And she took Osaka to three sets. That's incredible. What a performance. But, uh, but you know, if you look at the two, three-year uh, graph, so to speak, uh, trend with, uh, with Brady, especially how she, she's done in the, uh, in the big tournaments and majors, this is, uh, this is not that surprising, you know, leading up to the U.S. Open. I mean, she, she lost, she, she, she's, she's paid her dues in the majors. She lost to Kikim Mladenovic back in 2017 French Open, a heartbreaker, 9-7 in the third. She should have won many times. You could call it she choked, if you if you will. But then in the 2019, again, French Open second round, she loses to Polona Herzog, 6-4 in the third in a heartbreaker after winning another three tough three-setter in the first set against Jorovic. Then she comes this year, you know, reached the semis in Dubai, uh, beating Muguruza and Svitolina coming from qualifying, win, you know, wins the top seed open, and then comes into... Uh, uh, comes into U.S. Open and uh, and does really really well. The, the, she hit 35 winners to 25 errors in a match that was hit, that was played at a very high tempo. I mean, they were hitting the ball hard, 
you you would almost think that they would miss it every every shot out of five or six shots. But no, instead they were they were nailing the ball, hitting the corners, hitting the spots. And I just said to 35 to 25 ratio for Jam Brady, Osaka went 35 to 17. Mm. So we're, we're we're looking at a banner match, a top-notch quality match, their best best women's match of the year, in my opinion. Mm. I think it's so think- interesting that uh, you mentioned how um, tennis quality is right there, and like the it's it's so odd, uh, odd and, and not at the same time. Like if you if you just look at the the sheets and the players they're in and like their rankings, even you know nothing about them in a sense. You would think that the the best quality of the tournament was in the men's tournament because of. Uh, the, the the presence of the top 10, almost all of them were there. Uh, the presence of even Novak Djokovic, who... It was just a weird tournament, actually, in the end of the day for the, the men's tour. And uh, the quarterfinals onward, it was a lack of experience from so many players. And the, the most experienced player would be Dominic Team with, like, um, three uh, Grand Slam finals under his belt, lost level three to two big three players. And um, 27 years old, has been out there for, for quite a while. And first Grand Slam for a um, 90s born uh, tennis male player. Uh, but if you, in, the, in the women's draw, it was just such a high quality from beginning to end of the tournament. And uh, going into that semi, uh, in the semifinals, uh, those four players, Serena Williams, Victoria Zarenka, Naomi Osaka, were all uh, multiple time Grand Slam champions. Zarenka was a, is a, now a three time finalist at the US Open. So they had a lot of experience, and Brady probably came up short because of that problem. And I was watching that match, honestly, a, a little bit. It, I feel like what was a saving grace for Osaka in that match was really the fact that she was there before and that she had more experience. And uh, I feel like Brady kind of had one or two shots to define the match that she p- could have played a little bit better. Probably that tiebreaker was could have been hers if he, he she could have been a little bit more focused. She had a little bit more experience. Maybe that match would have turned around. And it's impressive from a tournament from Brady, honestly, because she uh, up to Naomi Osaka, she hadn't lost a set. Um, she hadn't she hadn't lost more than four games, I think, in a set. Um, right, twenty four games. You know, it, it, it was a pretty ridiculous run up to the semifinals, to be honest. And we all know that. It appears that the tennis quality of the men's tournament essentially started dropping right after round of 16 until the final, which was a total weird time of the year, I would say. But nothing better to cap off the pandemic slam, I would say. But let's get into that a little bit later. I guess, Vanshi, you had something else to say about that? Yeah, I just wanted to speak a little bit about because I think what what gets undersold when you look at a high quality match like we saw with you know with the last three women's matches, but particularly the one we were just focusing on with Brady and Osaka, mm-hmm. is that you actually see how much margin for error these two players have in their game. You see the way Brady's game is built with that forehand, and you you know high high margin hitting the big targets, and you know playing high risk tennis, but very but. In a, in a safe way that limits their unforced errors, and they're both absolutely pummeling the tennis ball. And and I think what gets undersold is yeah, you mentioned the the experience that Osa, that uh, all these players have had over her, and obviously a fantastic tournament from her. I'm sure we'll be seeing more of Jen Brady, and this can only be a stepping stone for her. But I think for Osaka, I think it's just it's just undersold how good of a problem solver solver she is mm-hmm. mid match. I think her ability to change tactics, and we'll get into more of that when we talk about the women's finals certainly uh but her ability to i think 
with our new coach, Wind Facet, one of the things that he really emphasizes is the player having the awareness in the middle of the match to to problem solve and kind of change the way the momentum of the match is going. And that means putting mar- more margin on your shot, staying calm, um, executing, and really just working out the patterns, you know, independently and and solving and solving the the puzzle that's at hand and blocking everything out. I'm curious, Mart, um, um, how impressed were you uh, throughout the tournament with Osaka's ability to do that under pressure? Yes. Well, Osaka, in general, you just touched on one of her biggest assets, her, her, her high IQ and her ability to stay calm under, under pressure situations. We don't know for a fact that whether she's calm or not, you know, she could be boiling inside, just not showing it to the outside. But from from the when you when you start when you start looking at the decisions that she makes during rallies, yeah. or on a second serve the way she moves in, or when she plays a certain player the way she hits the cross court ball and then kind of moves herself to the to the ad side, mm-hmm. probably guessing that the other player is going to hit there. You know, she yeah. you're only able to make those kind of decisions if you're if 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 you keep your cool headedness. And uh, obviously, Osaka has this quality of being able to keep a cool head, which then helps her tactically make these make the right decisions. And of course, it helps that she doesn't have a big hole in her game. Mm. You know, she's 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 fairly solid from all sides, and uh, she's got a she's got a very reliable serve, solid footwork, very very good footwork, a, a, a rocket forehand. She can hit her backhand hard. She hits down the lines and cross courts very well, both very well. You know, there's not really a big weakness there. And uh, she, so, so all, that, all that put together, Naomi Osaka has an excellent package. But I would still say that the ability up, up mentally, you know, up in her head, the ability to stay calm and make the right decisions, playing with a high IQ is her biggest asset. And I always mention... Jan Brady in a podcast a year ago, almost before the Australian Open, I mentioned uh, you know about how I feel like Jan Brady is one of the highest, uh, and this is before her runs this year, uh, possesses one of the highest IQs in you know in, in the WTA. And here she is; she had to play someone else who probably had the you know who, who was probably take advantage of her own IQ at the same level as she is, except she also had little better skills too. Because at this point, in my opinion, you put I put Osaka's A game on hard courts against any other WTA player, and I think Osaka's A game is half a step, quarter a step, or a step ahead of everybody else. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and yeah, great point about the A game, especially because I think you know you look at her resume now, and you know certainly you could you could say that in in 2019. You know, after winning the Australian Open, you know she had a little bit of a little bit of a dip, understandably, having won two slams in a row and all the expectations and pressure that comes with that, with being a global celebrity and and uh, all that context surrounding her. And you know, and we, how, how do you think? Uh, number one, you see that she's won six titles in her career, and you see that she's really peaked for these big moments. She's won now three half of her titles are slams, which is which is amazing. So I guess, um, what do you think of Osaka moving forward? Uh, how, how can she can she be an all-surface player? Can she really adapt her game well on the clay at Roland Garros and uh, and at Wimbledon uh, in her young career? Before I get to that, I think I, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but she hasn't lost a match past the quarterfinals, correct? In the majors, if she she yeah. went past the quarterfinals, she's, she's, she's won it. She's nine and zero every time she gets to 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you know, we're talking about someone who's who who's, who performs very well under pressure, mm. and who obviously embraces these big the, these uh, these big moments. And she obviously compartmentalizes very well too, because she she was also doing you know she was also using her platform for non tennis related uh, topics also. So that's that's quite a I mean that's quite a package that you have in a player there and a player that does everything that she does well. You know. Now, as as for your next question, what is what is how is it going to be moving forward? I think she's going to be the front runner in the WTA moving forward. However, just like you said, you know, she's again. Correct me if I'm wrong, but if, but I don't believe she has reached second week at the French Open. No. I think she's lost so far in the first week at the French Open. So she still has something to prove, right, on clay courts, yeah. and 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 against a player like her who. You know, wax the ball pretty hard, but not out of control. Uh, places the ball well, has a good serve, but doesn't necessarily use a high amount of topspin. The only challenge, in my opinion, that she would face on clay that would that might be a good test for her, or at least let us see how you know how far she's come, is if she plays a really fast player who runs a lot of balls down and who keeps the ball who keeps the ball back with high topspin and depth. In other words, today's version of Arantxa Sanchez Vicario. You know, if you have a player like that today, this, someone who can perform like that today against her in a match, I'd like to see how how, how Osaka does. If she can pass that that test too, and say goes to the semis or finals, she doesn't even have to win it yet, Vance and Andre. In my opinion, if she just if she if she just goes through a test or two like that, reaches the semis or the finals at the French Open. Then her future looks incredibly bright. Mm. I think the, the the closest person that I could imagine, like from the top of my head, to that one would be, of course, I wasn't, uh, I didn't watch much of a uh, Sanchez Vicario, but uh, uh, Halep would be a, a player that oh, plays really well on clay thing. and gets ball back balls back a lot. Likes to stay in rallies, really fast. It's probably kind of like the biggest characteristic of her game is the fast play and just like the, just. Really good footwork, really good off off of the ground. So that probably would be my best my best guess for for that challenge. I feel like that we would be would be looking at right now. Um, and uh, I would like to talk a bit more about the other semifinal, the less quality, I guess, like in ter terms of tennis, but players that were so emotional, contrary to the Jan Brady and uh, yeah. and uh, Osaka, who were. Tend to be like not so by far. Less, yeah. less quality, not by far. I know it was quite yeah. high quality too. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I no, no problem. Talk. This is this is this is a, this is a conversation. That's <laughs> just so. Yeah, I mean, I love that match. I think I feel like when I was watching that match, I I was supposed to be. It finished quite not quite late, but about like maybe midnight, something like that. Um, and I I wanted to go to bed early that night because I I work and I drive really far. So I wanted to get some hours of sleep, but I just couldn't get my eyes off of my of my phone screen. And it was one of the first times that I actually was so into a tennis match in in a while, I would say, um, when I got the chance of uh, to watch uh, like a full match. And I was I was full on Azarenka, not because I don't like Serena Williams, just because I feel like Azarenka kind of like was deserving a good a good match, a good win against Williams on uh, on the Grand Slam. And in the U.S. Open, where she she had lost to her tw two times in a row in the finals, um, and, and I think it was such a such a good quality. So many emotions. Uh, you could see the ten the tension there, 
and they were just focusing really hard during points and then just like lashing it out like uh just leaving leaving it all out there they left nothing on the court and that's kind of like one of the the most beautiful things that i can see in tennis is like when players just just leave everything that they've got and the court was so loud i i never felt like that there was no crowd or anything. Everything was so loud on that court, and I, I just loved that. I loved that match. It was probably one of the highlights of the year already for me. It was that Azarenka Williams match. And speaking of quality, nothing could beat Serena Williams if he, if he played in like that first set throughout the the whole tournament, the whole the whole match. That was one of the highest quality uh, sets of uh, tennis I've seen Serena Williams play, at least in the later. Uh, year five years or so that was vintage Williams just hitting hard not missing going for it moving well too which can be a weakness in her game I find is that that footwork can get a little iffy at times so that's one of the things that Azarenka kind of used to hold serve I guess uh, um, serving to the body was a good strategy just staying the points and uh, Williams made errors and first errors in crucial parts of the match and uh, just my last comment on that one is how did Vika summon two such big serves on, I think, 30-all and 40-30 in that, in that last set? It was, it's for me a mystery. <laughs> I can't understand how she did it. Yeah, so. I mean, such a, such a high-quality encounter, especially when you, you know, when you consider both in the context of Williams and Azarenka. And for me, I have to echo exactly what Andre said in terms of the excitement level for a match. And uh, and you know, tuning to watch it in for the whole way through. I think many people, I, I think casual fans would have wanted to really, you know, focus all their attention specifically on that second semifinal as a viewer uh, when you got that whole context. And yes, it, it is. It was a rivalry going in with eighteen and eighteen four head to head for uh, advantage Serena, but of course, many of their matches were highly contested and very close very close three setters and you mentioned the one in the two finals that they played in 2012 and 2013 when uh, Azarenka actually served for the match in the 2012 final and so I think there was a lot of excitement around this one and you know I mean Serena came out just like a barnstormer like just started out just vintage Serena moving moving excellent in the corners highly explosive her serve was clicking in and I think she just knew she had to be on her best game right from the get-go against Vika because in her previous two rounds, both against, I mean, in her previous three rounds, actually, against Sloane Stephens, against um, Peronkova in the quarters, and uh, Sakari the round before. You know, she was she was essentially for, made to, co- to come back from a set down and was forced to work very hard to, to eventually get into the match and dictate from there. But against Azarenka, she came in rock solid right from the beginning and, you know, almost went up a break early in, early in the second set. But then you saw Vika just adjust her game, that championship mentality of just, of just uh, you know, playing like you have nothing to lose, which became a theme of this U.S. Open, really, in the second weekend. When we saw players change the momentum of matches because it's a very different kind of situation when there's no crowd and there's no kind of 23,000 people in Arthur Ashe Stadium lifting Serena up and propelling her to what would have been her fifth Grand Slam final. But instead, we saw Ezra take the ball earlier, step in, dictate more, especially with her backhand return. I thought that was tremendous how she was able to neutralize the Williams serve and really just get into those nitty-gritty rallies from the, from the baseline and bring that feistiness and intensity that we so missed from her mm-hmm. that was reminiscent of the 2012 and 2013 Azarenka. And we saw that really carry over 
And, you know, eventually for a match to turn, you need two things need to happen. One is the dominating player in front needs to drop their level just a tad bit, a hair. And the, the, the player opposite has to really, take advantage has of to really step up and, and take advantage of that step up. And I think both the things happen in this in this match. And, I mean, if we just get to that last game, the, the amount of pressure that was there from, I think she was 15-30 down in that last game. And she mm-hmm. then won three of the next points in a row, two with really big serves and one with an ace and one with an unreturnable. And that's not essentially the strong point of Azarenka's game. Uh, you know, I mean, she's able to redirect the ball really well and she's really good in the in the baseline exchanges and especially when she imposes herself um, returning-wise. But her serve, I thought, really came clutch in those in those situations and she she beats Serena and I think Serena can can be can be proud of this more than she can of her four Grand Slam final defeats because she was fully in this match and she just lost to to someone younger and better than her on this day and uh, yeah so I mean Mark what's your what's your take on that second you, you guys you guys summarize it very well I, I I would I will draw attention to 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 the fact that uh, uh, maybe if there are junior tennis players watching this match, or they can they can find it on replay, and their coach want to you know, wants to show them a great example of someone who is, for the lack of a better word, getting getting her rear end kicked off the court after a set. You know, because Serena blew uh, Azarenka off the court in, in the first set. And let's let's also remember that Azarenka made. Uh, double-digit uh, unforced errors in the first set too, but probably because she was overwhelmed by what she was facing. But at the end of the day, she was erratic in the first set. Yes. Uh, and she made four double falls too. But mm-hmm. then the second set begins, and you, the, any 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 coach that wants to teach their junior, you know, how do you get yourself out of that uh, out of that hole or out of that feeling of sinking deep? Uh, you know, below. Well, watch Azarenka, how she all of a sudden starts pumping herself up, you know, slapping her hip, constantly talking to herself, walking fast to play the next point, you know, fist pumping, talking to herself and literally willing her uh, her uh, her tennis or her best tennis to come out and see if she can top the challenge that she's facing. And she was able to bring herself back from, from that sinking feeling, not only with her game, but also mentally. I would... And I would specifically point to the first four games and the beginning of the second set. And just just kind of watch not what happens in the points, but what happens between the points, after the point ends. And 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 just have them focus on Azarenka's body language. Well, what is the what what did that do? She she made 10 unforced errors in the first set. She made a total of seven the rest of the match in the next two sets. She made four double falls in the first set. She made one double fault the rest of the match in the next two sets. So it's it's, it's just a combination of of of, of, uh, of feeling good, a positive uh, you know force coming within that that a player brings out. I personally don't. I'll be very honest with you. I personally don't believe that. I don't put that much belief in that because I feel like your opponent, your opponent's level depends a lot on what you can put out there too. Mm. But there's a good example that where where a player just basically wills herself into playing well. And of course, just as you mentioned this, you know, she was terrific in returning because she, she returned a, a lot of great second serves. And she also, Azarenka also has this quality that not many players have, or men or women. You know, you'll hear coaches sometimes say, 
play the middle of the court. Don't give your opponent any angles. Right. Well, you play the middle of the court to Azarenka unless you land the ball uh, half a foot or inches away from the baseline. Azarenka nails that ball to the corner and somehow finds somehow finds inside out backhand angles from the middle of the court, which is which is you know which is probably the lowest probability shot you can hit from there. But Azarenka is able to hit those uh, consistently, so she kind of negates that tactic of hitting the ball hard down the middle. And by the way. Just like you said, this was the marquee matchup of the day. And then when we watched that Brady match, Brady um, Osaka match, when this match came around, we really at one point we thought to ourselves, wait a minute. We yes, this is the marquee matchup. They had terrific matches, but surely they cannot top the match before. They didn't, but they came quite close. This was like Andre says, this was a super entertaining match to watch. And I mentioned 35 to 25 and 35 to 17 winners and unforcers for the, for the yeah. first match. Well, here, uh, I believe uh, it was something like, again, 35 to 20-something for Serena and 25 to 15 or something for Azarenka. So, I mean, we that's just two great matches in a row there. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, uh, for Azarenka herself, I mean, that's two really solid weeks now. Obviously, she won in Cincinnati and, you know, getting to the finals of the of the the U.S. Open, and I just think she's found this inner calmness in her and belief in herself that was just missing for so many, for so many years. Ever since her, uh, her, um, her child, uh, the story with her child Leo, mm. and uh, the case with that, but then also just, just you see it in her eyes that she just looks so much. She's found that inner happiness again, playing the sport she loves, and you just see that with the calmness and the the meditation that she's doing in between the changeovers, particularly against Serena. She was super calm and just mm-hmm. looked completely unfazed by the occasion. And I thought it was and, very impressive. Yeah. And that carried over to the final, as we as we know. And let's not forget, she must be in great shape. Sure. She, 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 she went to the Cincinnati final. She went to the U.S. Open final. And just now, this morning, I know that's not part of our discussion here, but just to mention what she a great shape she's Venus, in. Right? She, just, she just beat Venus Williams yeah. in a match where she played very solid tennis again on, on a different surface, uh, eight and seven hours time difference overseas traveling just two days ago. So she must be in great shape mm-hmm. physically also. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like my, my, I wasn't really believing that she was going to, I, I wanted her to go deep, but like, honestly, making the final and uh, very so nearly winning, winning it, honestly, like taking that first at six one. But like my last comment is one of the joys I was watching in watching, uh, that, um, Azarenka match against, uh, Serena, was remembering how good a returner Azarenka is. And I was like, just imagining just how it's Serena Williams service is great. But I think that um, because of Azarenka's capability of uh, returning so many balls with interest, so many services like that, it's, it it really made so for so many entertaining contests between those two, because Williams has the power of blowing uh, opponents off of, of the court because of a serve. Um, it's not that the rallies are not good, but like if Serena gets slow serves, she just punish them and she just doesn't give much of uh, openings in her own. So matches can go already really quickly for, for players who can't deal with her serve. So that was obviously one. It is obviously one of the be- the biggest characteristics of uh, Serena's serve and Azarenka's major major props to, to her for being such a great returner that she is, which actually even carried over to the final a little bit because uh, we all know that... Um, Naomi Osaka also has a powerful serve 
is not quite the all-time great weapon as uh, Williams is, but it's it's a dang solid serve. It's constantly going um, 110s-ish. I think she can manage to go like on 120 um, on that first serve and hitting aces, really, really good uh, accuracy on that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that, the final against uh, Victoria Azarenka. How did those two match up? Like, Mert, what is your, uh, uh, I, guess, I guess, like a match analysis and... I guess not only in the in terms of uh, the statistics of it, but like how the players went, and you know all all that like mental focus and emotional focus as you're so good at describing. Well, I I believe that the the difference there, um, Andre, uh, in my opinion, is that the, you had two players coming in feeling good after their semi semifinal wins, both of them, and I think one player at the top of our game is just a tad better than the other player at the top of her game, not because she has a better forehand, backhand. Yes, I do believe, by the way, that Osaka has a little better serve than Azarenka, although I agree with everything you just said. Uh, I do believe Osaka's serve is a, is, a, is a better part, but not because of their overall game, but because I think Osaka is just a better mover on the court. And she, she, she seizes more... Uh, the, uh, the you know she has a better sense of where the ball is going to end up after a certain shot. When she hits a sp- certain forehand, for example, once in a while she'll she'll mostly drive her forehand, and then once in a while she'll hit a cross court short, a sh- more sharp cross court, sharper cross court forehand. And it seems like if you watch her, she'll put herself in a position for the next ball, and she'll place herself right inside the baseline to where if that ball coming from the outside of the court is short at all. She's going to hit it to the other side before the other player has a chance to come in. Just these little little decisions that she makes are a little bit ahead of the game, not just against Azarenka, but against everybody else. And I just think that Osaka is a better mover than Azarenka in terms of balls that are coming fast at her, too. I'm not necessarily talking about running left and right and running balls down. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about when the ball comes fast right to your body, your ability to get away from it. And if you notice, Osaka's forehand backswing is a very compact backswing. She doesn't take the racket back that early. It's not a big loop. You know, it's just a very quick, compact motion. So she's able to make last-second adjustments, too. So, you know, there are just some little details that make Osaka's A game better than Azarenka's A game, in my opinion. If they're both playing at the top of their game, I would pick, if they play 10 times, I would pick Osaka to win more than five of those because of those reasons. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, those are those are great points. I noticed that too on Osaka's uh, forehand and kind of her ability to change the direction of the of the rallies that that take place because of her compact swings, both on the forehand, but also, also on the backhand, the way she can just inject pace into both those shots and just put her opponents on, on the run and put them in uncomfortable positions time in and time out throughout the whole match. But I mean, I'm curious, like, what do you think was the turning point of this match? Because I guess if we just summarize, I mean, the match, I mean, Azarenka obviously came out absolutely, absolutely on fire and she just stormed through the first set. But Osaka was, you know, maybe trying to blast the ball through Azarenka and not really, and I felt like she didn't really have a plan A to start off the match. And I think she was maybe, you know, the, she was considered the favorite going into the into the match, certainly, but it wasn't the start I was expecting from her, especially when you take into account her last two Grand Slam, uh, Grand Slam finals and how well she played against Brady. But I think, uh, I think just her ability. I think the key point was in that uh, 
two love game at the start of the second set when Azarenka had game point to go up three love. And, you know, the match was in danger of going, of being over in like 50, 60 minutes. And so, so I think uh, her ability to get out of that game and put more shape and she started getting more depth on her shots and hitting it more, more across the center, across the center, uh, center of the baseline and just getting more, more margin and rotation on that forehand which then allowed her to step in, and eventually Azarenka's intensity dropped. And I think in the first set, um, Azarenka made something like 16 out of 17 first serves, which is just ridiculous, and winning over 90% of those points. So I think, and making just four unforced errors, and you saw that number completely flipped when she made 15 winners to four unforced errors, and then eventually Osaka had had the more winners and, and errors. And then, uh, really, she started to run away with the match. And then in the third set, I mean, Azarenka had one brief moment of resurgence where she got back on serve from 4-1, it became 4-3, and then, uh, you know, it started to get a little bit close there. But for the most part, Azarenka, uh, Osaka was really able to flip the match in a similar way, exact same way, actually, score-wise, that uh, Azarenka was able to do against Williams. It just happened against her in that in that final. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I do think that the, you're right in terms of score. It was exactly the same way. Same way. I do think, though, the difference is, in the first set between Azarenka and, uh, and Serena Williams, it was rather Serena just overwhelming uh, Vika and playing well. But in the first set of the final, I don't think Osaka had a good start. I mean, I, you know, it's I can't. Uh, if we if we wanted to take all nine sets in the semifinals and finals and say, can we find one set maybe out of those nine where one of the players did not did not play well? Uh, I would point to this first set of the final where one of the two players did actually did not start well, did not play well. And, uh, and, and I, I, I feel like Osaka had a slow start here, committed too many errors. And, uh, and when you commit too many errors to start the match, you become a little bit more hesitant and you, st- and you start forgetting your A game, which for Osaka are the deep shots, clo- you know, towards the corners and making the opponent just push back, back, back. Yeah. And when you don't have Azarenka on the run, when you have Azarenka standing more in the middle of the court, controlling the middle of the court, you're going to be the one suffering. And that's what uh, Osaka went through. And then in the second set, if we were to go down to the granular points, uh, Vance, the moment that you mentioned is probably the turning point. But uh, but that, that should not take away from the fact that Osaka really elevated the level of her game. Uh, you know, with the with the beginning of the second game, I would say really elevated her, her game. Hmm. Sure, yeah. yeah, and I think uh, that was a great wrap to the end of the of the women's tournament and a very fitting winner, uh, who certainly was a favorite going in. And yeah, and I think first. not only that, I think uh, in terms of uh, uh, Osaka, I was I was um, deep down I was cheering for Azarenka to get her title at the U.S. Open, but I. I think I've mentioned that on Twitter as well that I have no problems at all and I'm just equally happy for for Osaka because of mostly because of all of the the things that we um we had during this year and how much she has been putting herself out there in terms of uh you know things um regarding the the black uh black lives matter movement and uh just really engaging in conversation um for things outside of tennis I think it was incredibly important for for her and probably important for for the cause as well that she's she's defending and um, I uh, I'm I'm very very happy for her in in that matter. 
And this has been the first part of our US Open recap with Mert. Don't forget to check in the description for those hot links for our social media and keep listening for the second part or else actually go on the podcast page and click on the part two for the men's section of our US Open recap. And thanks so much. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. 